Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 126, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow his work at thedraftnetwork.com. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Michael, every day. Well, no, not every day. Okay, yes, every day is a good day to be alive, but the new (laughs) thing is everything is delicious. Everything is delicious. Thank you for asking. Nothing more enjoyable than spending a whole Sunday watching football and not freaking out about the upcoming Eagles game or the already happening Eagles game. Yeah. I now know what the other 31 teams in the league look like, (laughs) so that's good for me. Absolutely carefree Sunday of football, culminating in an absolutely fantastic night of football. We are recording this on Monday afternoon before the Monday night football game, so this feeling of a Cowboys loss is still fresh for us. Let's talk about it, because we'll kind of recap what we saw. The Cowboys lose 12-10 to on the road to the Teddy Bridgewater-led Saints. That ends up setting up an interesting scenario as we inch closer to Week 7. The showdown with the Eagles and the Cowboys. If you allow me to like look ahead for a moment, the formula is pretty simple here. The Cowboys have two games left before they play the Eagles. They play the Packers at home, then they're at the Jets. The Eagles, of course, have the Jets, Minnesota, and then they play the Cowboys at home. So with the way that the records are now, Cowboys being three and one, Eagles being two and two, if the Eagles take care of business against Minnesota, against New York, And the Cowboys, they can win out. They can win both games. It still sets up a game for the division lead in week seven in primetime before the Cowboys buy. And then the Eagles have their buy in week 10. And you can play this through a different you know, couple of ways. The Eagles could lose to Minnesota. As long as the Cowboys lose to Green Bay in that scenario, then it sets up for a division lead. So a lot of different scenarios that are looking like. It's going to be a very, very important week seven game, primetime game for the Eagles. So that's kind of the way this things are setting up. And the Eagles, the main point here is the Eagles have survived the suck of the first four weeks to manage to get out at 500. And they're still very much in this thing. Firstly, on like Wednesday, BLG, Brandon the Gallon, maybe Reverend, in the Slack said, Eagles beating Green Bay and the Cowboys are losing to New Orleans. And I said, Brandon, sir. <laughs> So, omissions and apologies, Brandon was very correct and has yet to pull that message out of Slack and share it on Twitter, which I found very surprising. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so now one game back, uh, I will tell you, quarter poll of the season, Cowboys have been a better team than the Eagles. The record doesn't always suss that out, but in this case it does. Cowboys have been really good. Uh, They lost that game against the Saints, not playing the same offense that they, you know, hung 50 points on the Dolphins with or, you know, uh, went and trounced the Giants in week one with. I don't really know. Um, There's there's been a clear shift to the running game over the first four weeks of the season for the Cowboys, which is, you know, bad. Never a good idea, as, you know, Matt LaFleur kind of demonstrated very nicely in the Eagles game against the Packers. <laughs> against Minnesota, against Jets, should handle the business, yes, but I'll believe this team should handle the business if and when they handle the business. You oh, know for I mean? sure, for sure. Yeah. And I think we're both looking past the Jets, so, I mean, there's some of that aspect to it as far as, like, where we expect this team to be. If this team is going to be a serious contender, then they should take care of business against Minnesota. If not, then we're having an entirely different conversation, so I'll keep it on the positive side as far as that goes. Uh, looking else- elsewhere 
around the NFL. I just want to make one quick note. Lions are a doggone good football team, and they played the heck out of the Chiefs. Really good game. Bit of a boat race. Stafford and the Lions, they hung in there, man. They might be a better team than a lot of people were giving them credit for. I know when we watched them, they look pretty good to us. Yeah, so omissions and 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 accidents, whatever it is. Apologies. <laughs> Round two. I made a lot of fun of the Lions in the beginning of the season. I also made a lot of fun of the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> As of right now, these teams like a combined 7-2-1 and one or something like that. But no, the Lions specifically, if you have the ability or at least the comfort and the personnel to run man coverage against pretty much anyone in the league, you're going to be able to hang in a lot of games you shouldn't be able to hang in. Mm-hmm. And now that's conditional on, again, having the personnel. You know, Jim Schwartz plays a lot of man coverage. He doesn't have the team to do it. But the Lions do in terms of that secondary is deep and talented, and they can cover a lot of different body types. They got Justin Coleman and and and, and uh, the other kid whose name I can't remember who are good on the the um the the quick guys, and then they have guys like Darius Slay, Quandre Diggs who are good against bigger guys as well. And so I think they they handle a lot of body types nicely in man coverage, and you saw that borne out against the Chiefs. The yeah, Lions are top of the NFC two no two one and one. Green Bay's three and one. Right. Uh, Bears are three and one. Vikings are two and two. The firmly serves, but it's it's a good it's a good division, and the Lions are not the Saladores we thought they were going to be. At least not until we got into the film and said, "Hey, this team might actually be a little bit better than I think both of us thought they were going to be at the start of the season." Because I thought the Lions were going to be completely boring, and it turns out it is the opposite. Uh, ben, quick update on the cornerback room situation for the Eagles. I guess the Eagles bring back Orlando Scandrick. I'm not sure if we updated the listeners Woo-hoo! on this because. We had a little break, but it's also looking like that the Jaguars, and this is according to uh, hack job Jason Lockhead for us, so take this with a boulder of salt, that the Jaguars have turned down two first-round picks from a potential contender for Jalen Ramsey. So the price, whew. Zero, zero percent chance. As far as? I, like, in, in terms of things, I do not believe. <laughs> Jet fuel can melt Steve Beams is one. Two, the Jaguars got offered two... Not not that they got offered two, but that they turned down two right. first-round picks. That would be amazing. Okay. Because no one else is reporting it. I'm waiting for someone else to pick it up. I mean, if that's the price, then no, I'm I'm, I'm out. If it's, if it's higher than that, you have to be out, right? Right. No. This is two first. This is not Khalil Mack. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. This is Jalen Ramsey, yeah, who yeah. is quite good at a position which is inherently more volatile year to year, right? So, like, good edges are more consistently... Yes. Elite. Yeah. Then elite corners are consistently elite. So there's that, number one. Number two, Mac has none of the diva characterization that comes with Ramsey, who obviously Ramsey, like, you know, backed up a Brinks truck to the first day of training camp. Like, Ramsey's, you know, been public with disliking his quarterback, Blake Bortles, when he was on the team. Like, Ramsey does not take prisoners or pull punches. Number one. Number two. And number three, it's not like Jacksonville has huge leverage here. Maybe against Philly a little bit because Philly's so desperate with injuries. But in general, Ramsey was inactive. <laughs> Ramsey's not playing for the team. They need to get rid of him. Yeah. Especially like you know the 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 AFC South is two and two across the board. Everybody's two and two. So it's not like the Jaguars are like not contending. Yeah, they're gonna send a six and ten team to the playoffs. I don't like the AFC South pisses me off, but <laughs> they don't have a ton of leverage. So right. I, I would be shocked if they get two 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 ones. Two ones. Before we get to the film review, I did want to throw some names out there for potential corners that the Eagles could be looking at if Ramsey is off the table. And I did this last week on Twitter, and I got some feedback from people as well. I think the more pricier options, you're looking at Chris Harris Jr., the cornerback from Denver. 
You're looking at Xavier Howard, possibly from the Dolphins, since everybody wants out of there and they're tanking and, and no one wants to be there anymore, just like Minka. You're also looking at a cheaper option, a guy like Dory Jackson, who is signed through 2020, is only $3.6 million next year. Not the high-end type corner, but definitely can hang in there, and I think he's solid. William Jackson from the Cincinnati Bengals is another one that's been thrown around. Any other names or any other thoughts on that, Ben, before we get to the film stuff? Chris Harris Jr. Good player. I'm in. He fits. Chris Harris Jr. is one of some of the best tape and off coverage you'll find in the league. Hmm. That's what Philly's doing with their corners. They're getting them as far off the ball as possible. <laughs> want to talk about it? Yeah, we're going to talk about it. Want to talk about it, Mike? You want to you talk about the defense first? You want to do that as the, the film review on the defense first? Yeah, sure. Offense? Okay, sure. I have a take. Oh, Hit me with the take, Ben. If. <laughs> no, boy. This might. Oof. We we both picked the Eagles to go to the Super Bowl. I cannot claim to have watched every Super Bowl team in depth ever. But as it has looked thus far, even <laughs> with injuries considered, yeah. this would be the worst pass defense to play in the Super Bowl <laughs> history. <laughs> Mike. Uh, no. What? And the run defense is so good, it doesn't matter. I mean, so I think the feature I'm going to write this week yeah. is the Eagles' run defense is actually a problem because the degree it's to which so it good encourages yeah. passing against the Eagles. Which LaFleur didn't get, I don't understand. Right, right, which is a whole thing. <laughs> and LaFleur was getting ripped for that on the internet, and, and, and justifiably so. Typically, I, you know, when people get ripped on the internet, I'm usually like, all right, there's more nuance here. But, I mean, LaFleur, like, First and 10 run team, all the time was down multiple starters in the secondary and has not been able to cover anybody with the starters in. Yeah. The guys worse than Ronald Darby were on the field. Worse than Darby. Well, how? Okay. But <laughs> the point here being, even the Eagles won this game, but I think it was their worst game in terms of figuring out who's supposed to be in which zones. I know, right? It's fascinating. I put this on, I said on Twitter that they're having an issue getting connected on their spot drops and overlapping zones was abysmal this game. It was terrible. It was some of the worst I've seen from them. So let's define some terminology here because I want to get on a soapbox, but the yeah. soapbox needs some terminology. Okay. Spot drop, right? When we talk about spot dropping, all right, well, you're the linebacker. You're going to play, you know, in, in the curl flat zone. And so accordingly, you need to get, you know, three yards outside of the hashes, eight yards deep. That's your spot. You're going to drop to that spot. And then as you drop to that spot, you'll see routes developing in your area. And typically, you want to relate to those routes, right? You're not going to get to your spot and freeze. You're going to continue to uh, adjust your momentum and get related to the receivers who are in your area so that you're actually covering those receivers. So that's what we say when we say spot dropping. Overlapping zones. Overlapping zones is, is, is related specifically to that flow that I talked about after the spot drop, especially when the quarterback moves off his set point. Well, you know, I, I spot drop to my curl flat zone. Well, guess what? The quarterback's rolling out in my direction. And so they're flooding my zones. They're flooding my areas. All the players are coming to this side of the field. So as I go and I relate to a player in the flat, well, the guy was in the hook should now need to come over and take the curl, right? I just left the curl to go to the flat. The next guy should overlap zones, continue to flow with the receivers and flow with the quarterback and move into an area that on the chalkboard is my zone. But on this particular manifestation of the play, I need him to handle that because we're overlapping zone coverages here. Overlapping zones is typified of, of strong zone defending players. You want to understand overlapping zone coverage? Watch Malcolm Jenkins. Malcolm Jenkins understands how to overlap zones by adjusting to route concepts that he knows are familiar, that he knows the, the quarterback is attempting to execute, and making plays subsequently. So this is the kind of terminology we're dealing with here. What you get with Philadelphia is 
linebackers who flow so hard against the run. Yeah. Eagles have a great run defense. They flow so hard against the run that when they bail on play action, it's turn your head to the quarterback and sprint downfield. If I can give two examples to your point, and I'm, and I'm just going to give the time frames and whatnot, and then you can continue. But first quarter, 343, second and three. Also first quarter, 213 to go in the quarter, second and 10, play action. It's a perfect example yeah. where Nate Gary is the weak side backer. Nigel Bradham is the middle backer. Split zone flow. Zone away from Nate Gary, the entire offensive line moving away from Nate Gary, and then a, a wide receiver in motion is coming across the formation the other direction. Gary flows with the zone flow so as to be responsible for the run. Now it's diagnosis play action. Again, Gary was the weak side linebacker. Nigel Bradham was the, was the middle backer. Gary turns around and tries to bail to the deep middle of the field to the what I would call the hook curl area yeah. as if he is Nigel Bradham. There was a split zone action right in front of you. You are the flat defender. <laughs> this is not hard. Like, yeah. And this is why I'm, I'm tippy-tapping. This is not difficult. There are things that are difficult. This is not one of them. And there should not be easy completions for this reason. Philadelphia 2nd and 10 ran as much inverted Tampa 2 as they have in years. Yeah. This is a coverage that has not worked for them. Right. You want to know why Devontae Adams was so wide open on every outbreaking route and every curl that he ran the entire game? It's because they had Sidney Jones and Devontae Maddox playing four yards above him, bailing deep. And they're asking the deep middle of the field safety to close in, read the whole field, <laughs> read the quarterback, and close in on place. Slant flat. Curl flat. These are all hitting because the corner's playing deep off. The weak side linebacker, the overhang, is 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 blitzing to the flat to get married to, to the, the swing route or to the flat route. And there's a, a hole right open in front of that deep corner and going to that closing flat defender that they're asking the middle of the field safety to get to. That's yeah. unrealistic. I don't care how bad your linebackers are. He's not going to be able to get there. He's not Earl Thomas on crack cocaine. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? This is unrealistic asks. To players who are not good in these roles anyway. Yeah. And then Nate Gary can't get to a flat zone. Right. And like the Eagles won. And this is such a huge issue. If the Packers passed <laughs> the ball instead of running the ball, they would have won this game. <laughs> Eagles can't cover anybody. You look at 2-13. Not only was it a 13-yard completion to Devontae Adams. Look at the seam. Right before Rodgers. This is Devontae lets... Maddox bailing and Ronnie McLeod trying to make the play, right? Right. Yeah. If you yeah. look at if you look at the scene right before Rodgers goes to load up and throw this thing, Rodney McLeod coming up, vacating that zone for an inverted cover two, which is the I mean that's the thing he should be doing, leaves the entire middle deep area of the field open. Who do you expect to pick up that route? Because Rasul Douglas on the other side. I know who they expect. Can I show you who they expect? Yeah. 105 first quarter, second and 10. Second and 10, 105 first quarter. Yep, okay. Watch Zach Brown, middle uh, middle linebacker. No freaking way Dude, can you rely on that. Dude, he reverse turns away from the passing strength <laughs> and then bails into the seam. What even is this? I, I, I have not yet done this because we're talking about the podcast. I, I'm, I'm clipping this and I'm asking Twitter to explain to me what this coverage is because I have no idea. I Zach mean, Brown, like, okay, having your middle linebacker carry three vertical into the seam is one thing. Yeah. Right? That's one thing. That's a thing that's done. He turns the wrong way, firstly, and secondly, the Eagles f like flood the coverage to the passing weakness. They move defenders away from the three-receiver side 
to the two receiver side. He's coming from the opposite hash. And he's turning right. the other way. And Avante Maddox is like screaming in because he apparently has deep half coverage. I don't know. Is this cover like is this cover six? Is that what we're trying to accomplish here? Like, is this is that what this is? Because I mean the, the switch release from the tight end is also wide open. Like, I mean, this no one is covered on this play. This is some of the most bizarre coverage that I've ever seen. Right, like, what are they trying? I don't know. That's I the just, thing. There's nothing intelligible to me about the Eagles' pass coverage at all. Yeah. And then they go to, you know, run man coverage, and it's 58 yards to Devontae Adams because they have Sidney Jones on him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where I feel bad. That's where, like, you know, like, I'm frustrated with Jim Schwartz, but, like, you don't have guys who can cover man on man, so you got to try to run zone coverage. And if you just spot drop cover three, which is what Schwartz typically does, against a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you're going to get creamed to death. But here's the thing. All the little change-ups you're throwing are also getting creamed to death. You know, and I mean, this this play that we're making fun of is a three-yard scramble for Rodgers, yeah. right? So, I mean, like, like you could They're say largely that this, you know, worked. Like, Rodgers was looking to the seam and decided to eat the ball and run because of Zach Brown. But I just don't, like, if this is the solution, we're screwed. Because you can't be asking a player like Zach Brown to be tagging a player like Jimmy Graham in space on a regular basis and be like, this is how we will cover tight ends. What happens when you meet Kansas City? Right. What happens when you meet San Francisco? Yeah, because they're going to make those. AJ Klein couldn't cover Blake Jarwin. It was a huge third down conversion for the Cowboys against the Saints. This is what they're going to do to you. So like, you're limited by your personnel at the corner position. I get that. And I'm like, you know, frustrated with the defense, frustrated with the, with, with the zone coverage, the awareness, the, the, the gestalt of the defense and how they're all working as a unit. But at the same time, like th- if this is the solution, again, if the Packers passed more than they ran in this game, they would have won the game. So really, the solution isn't here. Ben, go to end of second quarter, 31 seconds. It's third and six, because I want to know one thing. We talk about spot dropping, and this is a perfect example of not getting connected when you pick up a route when a route comes directly in to where your spot drop is, they've got two receivers, I'm sorry, three receivers on the, on the right. They got a tight end with a check release, but it's two receivers streaming vertically. There's a, there's a blitz from the Eagles. So they've got three deep zones, three underneath zones. One of the underneath zones is Rodney McLeod, and he's going to pick up this route or he's not. It's it, the route. He's got no other threat in front of him. He is 20 yards past the line of scrimmage. Who else is going to come his way? He should trust the linebacker to be able to pick up that that tight end coming across, right? Why can't he turn and run with Geronimo Allison here? And Allison just sits right in front. Jonathan Cyprian is in freaking Siberia coming up to make this play. Oh, Jonathan Cyprian, don't even get me going. Because <laughs> he's terrible. Avante Maddox has taken his guy vertical. He's fine. Why can't McLeod turn and run with this guy? How does that make sense? What are we doing? The coverage is just It's gross. amazing, the Eagles. Like the, the, you like, see what I'm saying? The, I referenced earlier the 58-yard pass to Devontae Adams. Yeah. It's sh- shocking that this is, this is not a quarterly occurrence for the Eagles. <laughs> I think when, when there's, like I don't know, like enough data, so it's not just noise, for the Eagles 2019 season, and they play a data-driven team like the Ravens, for example, Yeah, I think the Ravens are just going to throw nine balls outside the numbers 90 times. Because... Yeah. The success rate is going to be astronomical. Like they're going to get picked 35% off. Thirty-five percent of them doesn't matter. It's just fascinating to me. And and as and as we look at like the defense as a, as a whole and what happened throughout the game, we saw a ton of cover two looks from the defense in the second half. And I know many feel like there's literally no hope in stopping the pass for this defense, as we just kind of outline. 
And also considering Maddox's neck sprain that'll keep him out for the next few weeks, which is actually fantastic news for him, considering what that looked like, um, along with the others that are injured as well. Like, trust me, I, I share the same concerns when it comes to pass coverage, especially considering in this game, they weren't hurt as much as they should have been. Devontae Adams, turf toe, Matt LaFleur being dumb. But just looking at the stats after some adjustments were made to more too high looks, in the first half, it was 9.6 yards per drop back and a touchdown, 52% success rate. Second half, uh-huh. 6.5 yards per drop back, touchdown, interception, 41% success rate. So now how much of this has to do with those adjustments? How much of it has to do with Adams being dinged up? How sustainable is that over the next few weeks without some key players at cornerback? And how much of it has to do with what we've talked about regarding Matt LaFleur's early game scripting success juxtaposed to his mid-game struggles. There's like no magic formula to figure this out for me. So there's a, like a ton of different details mixed in with the context. But at the very least, we witnessed Schwartz do something different with his coverage shells. The data on it looks better than the alternative, I guess. And he's going to be incentivized to give this corner group some help due to the injuries. So I do believe that we're going to see moving forward more middle-of-the-field open split-field defenses. How effective that'll be, I cannot say. Obviously, they got to clean up how they treat their zone defenses, but it sure as heck gives you a better chance than what they were doing. And by proxy, it does what we've asked Jimbo to do in not cramming the box with seven to eight men all the time. I think a little bit in this game, he might've seen that can work for you. You can have two high safeties and you can still stop the run with the personnel that you have, not with the linebackers flowing so freaking hard. How could they not? So the run defense will be fine and matters less than giving up just gigantic swaths of space in coverage. So there is a way to survive this with suboptimal depth and talent at the quarterback position. They did it last year. 15th ranked DVOA pass defense despite missing the 30th most amount of time from defensive backs due to injury. If the offense clicks like we think it can, we're going to talk about them after the break, but the Eagles pass defense doesn't need to be great. It doesn't even need to be average. It just needs to be not dreadfully awful. And it was dreadfully awful for a lot of this game. And they didn't, like I agree with Ben, they didn't pay for it as much as they could have. I would love to believe that yes, there's a chance that Jimbo's like, hey, like this split field thing, maybe we give up a few more yards in the running game, but we are able to stop more passes. That's pretty sick. Hold not hold. Here's the thing, though. Yeah. Every time the Eagles get into the red zone, they go, the Eagles defense gets in the red zone, they go middle of the field closed, invariably. And that makes sense. That's most teams. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make a lot of sense to go split, split safety in the red zone. Right. The middle of the field closed. I agree. They are wildly successful as a red, as a red zone defense. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Just great performance against the Packers. Great performance in years past against Jim. Those numbers and that success rate is going to continue to conflate the overall measure for how good the Eagles are as a middle of the field closed defense. Because between the 20s, middle of the field closed defense, Eagles are probably one of the worst in the league. Right. But if you were to go look at like last year's numbers, they were about like middling defense in terms of when they played middle of the field close, middling pass defense. Well, what are we always complaining about with the Schwartz defense? It's the cushion on the outside. And now we're talking about the large areas of space that they're not able to overlap from 20 to 20. In the red zone, it's hard to the give The space us. is already condensed. Right. Right. Like in the red zone, if you don't put your corners up at the line of scrimmage, they're going to just run slants on you and score. Right. So you put your corners up in the line of scrimmage. Yeah. You, you're also and this is critical, allowed to do that, not in the red zone. <laughs> the idea there being, if a team tries to slant you to death by eating up cushion, well, once they get to the red zone, they won't be able to, mm. right? And so you give it up in between the 20s because it's not the big touchdown play. Right. 
and then they slant you to death all the way into the red zone, and then they can't get the big touchdown play over you, so you move your corners up, and now they can't slant you to death, and now you stop them. And, of course, you've given up three points in the process, but you haven't given up seven. Right. So, again, like this is where I, I, I find Jim forgivable, because I get the mentality. <laughs> it's just the, the implementation of the philosophy is bleeding. Mm. It's bleeding. So you have to be able to, and this is what we've talked about for the whole season now with split field, you have to have a changeup. You have to have something else. Yeah. And I would even argue some of these wacky zones are an attempt at a changeup. Right. Don't think it's a good attempt. I think it's <laughs> so we're getting warmer. Right. But uh, you know what this podcast obviously would like to see is split field looks, the the ability to lighten the box, the ability to leave your corners in flats leave your corners and shallow allow them to trap yeah i think it would be very beneficial to taking away the quick game that has ripped the eagles to shreds in recent weeks that said the main solution the biggest boon above anything schematic is uh, like ronald darby being healthy a healthy jalen mills a potentially healthy jalen ramsey hmm. and then another like you know uh, to to move it to a bit of a personnel perspective as the final note for the defense Continued really solid play from Rasul Douglas. Yeah, I agree. This is two weeks in a row now, which for Sewell is more than he usually puts of good film out. <laughs> you know, with Sewell, he's been a very flashy player. This was, I would say, ten. I would say ten good quarters. Yeah, uh, of football now going back to the end of the Atlanta game. Quietly, we're not just saying that because of turnovers. He's been quietly solid, which I think is more encouraging than just playing up and down and having a pick. You know what I mean? There's only one corner. When everybody was healthy, there's only one corner who's willing to activate his hands, and it's Rasul Douglas. Yeah. Douglas will hit you on the route. Yep. And the the effect that that has cannot be understated. I agree. Uh, and then he, then he has the length to finish, and he's got good ball skills, great recognition in the air, good competitiveness. He's not the quickest turnaround guy. He's going to get burned. We saw it against Terry McLaurin in week one. But here, when all your other corners are getting burned, you might want to also, you know, you, you, you're going to want to continue playing the guy who can also take away a rep or two. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's where the Eagles are at with Rasul. So, yeah, we can have know. a whole different discussion about playing cover two and not touching anybody and not rerouting, which is what the Eagles are doing right now. But Sewell will definitely get his hands on. So that's a positive there. So that's the defensive side of the ball. When we come back here on the Kiss and Solak show, we're going to talk about the offensive side of the ball, what we saw and what we might see moving forward. That's up next. Exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics. But now, with AI, people can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process? Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. 
We are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 126, brought to you by SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. We already covered the defensive side of the ball for this film review. We're going to be switching sides to the offense. And Ben, this is something that we can actually be excited for and not yell at each other about. This This is exactly the offense for which we've been clamoring from a scheme, personnel, and efficiency perspective. The Eagles checked all the boxes on Thursday night against the Packers. They've got extra time between games, including a cupcake game with the Jets, to analyze what went right and solidify their identity as an offense. And then you add a splash of danger to the mix when Deshaun Jackson returns. So the Eagles only had one explosive pass against the Packers. Jackson entering the fold changes that outlook. And John Stolness read out some of my charting takeaways on the last out the podium. And I also wrote it up for bleedinggreennation.com, so I won't beat people over the head with it. But these are simple things, like 40% 12 personnel, 45% play action, which was a 34% uptick from the last two previous weeks, 41% of their plays against the Packers coming from under center, Another huge hike, something that we argued for. They only had 12 plays under center from weeks two to three. It's all the things that we argued for, but also all the things that apparently having Dallas Goddard healthy is the catalyst for, which is so weird to me, but I I wouldn't like it to be that way. Weird to you. Imagine. (laughs) Imagine not knowing. I mean, it's it's one injury derailing the entire thing, and and maybe it doesn't in the future. Maybe that's just a one-week thing or that, you know, the whole thing with Atlanta was weird. I get that part of it, too, because they had to rip up that game plan, but the next week they didn't have to. But they have to be better at adjusting to these things in a timely manner, which they weren't earlier in the Listen, season when you lose the fourth best tight end in the league <laughs> michael you still affects one, your offense you still have one of the top five anyway when he takes 30 percent of his yeah steps. right exactly and look even with some sputters for for small stretches from this offense and a plethora of big play drops this offense still ranks fourth in touchdown drive efficiency they're sixth in scoring drive efficiency they're scoring touchdowns more frequently than the 2017 eagles offense and now give goddard Alshon, Deshaun, a long rest between games, and I can't guarantee it, but I can darn sure expect this offense to more than carry its weight, and that's going to be very important with what's going on on the defensive side of the ball with the injuries yeah. and the coverage issues, right? Because we're going to get into both boat races when when things get when we play a, a very good offense. But the point here is from a film perspective, if you're looking at the philosophy they came into this game with and stuck with and executed, this is a fantastic watch from the offense, and this has the added benefit of getting the ball out of Carson's hands quick via scheme. He took no sacks. They protected him well. And with Deshaun coming back here in the future, you give Carson the freedom to check into those shot plays at the line. But this offense that we saw is what the offense needs to be. And I think it could be really efficient. I think it'd be really dangerous. Yeah, so I think whatever the total is, take the over. And that's just going to be the general rule for Philadelphia sports games. (laughs) Absolutely. For the foreseeable future. Yeah. Now, to the Alshon point, which we brought up uh, for a second there, the amount that Carson Wentz overled him or overthrew him makes it very clear to me that Alshon just had no pickup. He had no giddy up for this game. I agree. His cap is out. And he played because the Eagles needed to win a game and he wanted to, you know, play in a game that the Eagles needed to win. I got a lot of love for that. All the early reports were saying that he was not going to play this game. So yeah, he gutted this out. Carson missed some throws in this game. Yeah, he missed some throws to Alshon. <laughs> Alshon could have run. Yeah. You know, and, and, and really to everybody else, he was he was pretty impressively accurate. Carson was, has been one of the league leaders in intended air yards over the first three weeks of the season. As a matter of fact, against the Detroit 
Lions week three, 11 air yards uh, per next inch as intended air yards. One of the top six marks. That's huge. Uh, in week four, it went to 7.1. Yeah. They drastically, as a response to knowing that they were not going to have Deshaun, knowing that Alshon was going to be slowed down, seeing the issues for the passing game that happened a little bit in week three, brought the target depth way down. I mean, Carson attempted one kind of pressured one-on-one shot to Mac Collins on the sideline, and that was it. Right. There were no deep shots in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, they also weren't in a situation where Carson was attempting Nelson Aguilar fourth down passes, J.J. Arthiga Whiteside fourth down passes, which obviously, you know, inflate his intended air yards. It's always been a short, quick game, sort of an offense for Philadelphia, working the, the quick-breaking routes. But in this game specifically, it was very clear that when Philly knew that they were going to be getting those five-man surfaces, those five-man rush fronts from the Packers and man coverage across. They were going to take quick-breaking routes, especially where they got off coverage. And I think that you saw a lot of those sets, which which the the phraseology I would use would be a nub set. And that's probably wrong. Yeah, because no. I No, no, no. Because nub specifically, from what I understand, is a three-by-one set in which the one on the backside is a tight end in line. That's what I know nub as. So a nub set... You got three receivers out on one side and then one tight end on the opposite side. And he's in line on the line of scrimmage. That's a nub yep. set. Those can be a nightmare for defenses to check to, to deal with. Because now you've got a corner that's been dragged into the box. Right. It's run strength versus pass strength. Who do you want to play there on the on the nub side? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, and, then, and that corner, the Eagles love to expose him in the running game. That's what they did. Same philosophy. I'm not sure if the terminology is the same. A lot of two by two sets where you had a a, a tight end and a wing. You know, we call that a, a you know double wing, tight end wing, tight end H back. We've called that on the podcast before. They've also they'll also just do a nasty slot set. They'll do one guy up, one guy back as an H back, and again it's right up again against the tackle, and then the back can either be set to that side or it can be set behind the quarterback in honor center, which you brought up under center. I, I have yet to run the analysis. I'm still learning R, so it takes me like 10 years to do one thing. <laughs> the Eagles' success rate running under center versus under shotgun is massively important. And as we always offer the caveat, the Eagles' run game under shotgun is really their RPO game from the shotgun. And, and, and very frequently, runs become passes. And so it's not surprising that runs from the shotgun aren't super effective. But the runs from under center are really impressive for Philadelphia. It opened up their wham game, opened up their forward blocks a lot. If you think about it just from a general perspective, it takes takes longer for the handoff exchange to occur on an under center run and accordingly you can accomplish more timing based block concepts more complex block concepts such as these wham blocks and these fold blocks which really do well for getting the eagles best blockers on the move in the second level and that's how you bust out these 10 plus yard runs that the eagles were garnering pretty successfully pretty frequently against the packers so these tight sets one two receivers to one side of the formation but they're as tight to the tackle as they can get present a really big issue for the defense in the running game, especially under center. Again, it brings a corner in to the box. And with with, with the case of the Packers, who were electing to match the Eagles' 11 personnel with nickel and match the Eagles' 12 personnel with dime. So they only have one linebacker on the field to begin with. Mm -hmm. In these circumstances, you already had a safety in the box from the get-go. And now you've introduced a corner into the box. So you've got guys like Jason Kelsey and Isaac Sayamalo taking angles on the guys like Darnell Savage, Will Redmond, Jairi Alexander. It's a huge advantage for the Eagles offensive line. And even when the Packers do get plus one in the box, the plus one is a defensive back. Right. They are not good at defending the run. If they were, they would not be defensive backs. Like this is what it, you don't practice playing linebacker when you're a corner. 
But the Eagles can pull you in and force you to do that because you're worried about the passing threat of their tight ends. That's what makes the the, the Goddard-Ertz dynamic so exciting, is that in these circumstances in which defenses say, we will sell out to make it as hard for you to pass to these players as possible, well, okay, guess what? We're going to load the box. We're going to ask your corners to tackle Jordan Howard in tight spaces. How's yeah. it going to go for you? And it goes yeah. very poorly. Uh, so this this is the dynamic you wanted to see the Eagles achieve in the balance of their run and their pass game. If you're going to bring extra defensive backs onto the field, we're going to use tight formations, under center runs, and big backs to make you suffer for it unless your corners can tackle Jordan Howard. And the Eagles saw barely any. Like, this is the exact opposite of what the Eagles do defensively from, from like, a mindset perspective, right? The Packers are like, you know what? You're probably going to run on us. Here's a bunch of defensive backs. We're going to try to cover the pass. We're going to bring on Will Redmond, which is who's, who's not good, which I don't understand that decision 100%. But they'll they'll let you run all over them, and the Eagles sure did. I mean, we're, talk about the, the drive at the end of the third that leaked into the fourth quarter for the Eagles. The game-winning drive where they had five rushes for 53 yards. You mentioned Wham. First and 10 at the Eagles 25, 316 left in the third quarter. They go single back. They bring in Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard comes across the formation. Isaac Ciamalo lets Dean Lowry, number 94, go. Ciamalo's going to climb up to number 50. He's going to get the lone linebacker in space. going to lock him up. Goddard's going to come across and ear hole the crap out of Lowry and just put him on his knees. Sanders has got nothing but green space in front of him. Sanders reads this play nicely, too. If it's the one that I'm remembering. Yeah, he does. He does. And Peters, just as an example of why this matters, that they're so light in the box. Adrian Amos is up at the line, lined up in front of Zach Ertz. They're they're in their, uh, their heavy DB package. Peters comes out and literally throws him on the ground. Like, there, there was no way that the Packers were going to be able to fill against this effectively at all. Sanders, you know, gets tackled eventually by uh, by Darnell Savage. Then later on in the drive, I mean, they just come out and muscle him. There was this 16-yard gain before the touchdown by Jordan Howard there in single back again with that YY wing to the left. They've got one linebacker on the field. Freaking Siamalu and Peters push their guy out of the way. Goddard and Ertz, Ertz, by the way, just adds somebody to the wall and then turns his butt and seals who's there in the box. Another safety, Adrian Amos, seals Amos out of the way. And Howard's got one-on-one with Darnell Savage again. The Eagles were really good at getting these running backs one-on-one with defensive backs. I wish they would have made one miss, but overall, a very effective game for the run game. Schemed up very well for what the Packers wanted to do. The Packers never made the necessary adjustments or just weren't capable from a personal perspective of doing that. So kudos for the run game plan, which... It was the best it looked all season from an identity perspective. Yeah, and that and and this is the thing is that I think Philadelphia can get dropped into the bucket of spread teams because of the success they had with the RPO game in 2017. For sure. Ah, they're a spread team. And then when you hear that, you think they run zone. And they do. But not that much. It's not what they want to run, I don't think. I think they want to run power blocking concepts. I think they want to get guys like Jason Kelsey climbing to the second level and guys like Brandon Brooks and and, and and Dallas Goddard and Jason Peters making strong first-level down blocks, washing people away, getting good angles on guys. I think that's how they want to be a, a, as a running team. And you can obviously still build an RPO passing game off of that. It doesn't need to be a zone-blocking scheme. So it's really, I think, critical and interesting and fun to note that the Rams, the Chiefs, who obviously Peterson is a, is a Reed disciple, not the Ravens, uh, the Niners. These offenses are zone-based, West Coast slash spready passing attacks. 
the Eagles are a West Coast slash spready passing attack, but they are not running the same run scheme, the same blocking scheme as these offenses. Said they're running what guys like the Ravens and the Patriots run, and it's allowing them to do some really unique things and some really fun, more difficult to defend concepts. Wham has been so successful for them. They have this uh, play that I don't think is single back power. It might be single back power, and they're just they're just executing reads on the fly based off where the Packers linemen were because the Packers align with five down. And so sometimes it can be confusing in terms of who's blocking where. But they run a, a, a single back power sort of look. I brought up handback punch that they were running as well in the fourth quarter yeah. uh, against the Packers with Jordan Howard. Handback punch is a really cool concept, which looks like zone and then becomes power blocking and, and hits backside and hits, hits, hits vertical as well. These are ideas that not a lot of teams are running, and the teams that are running them aren't necessarily running them as well as Philadelphia. And so this mm. is where I think their running game identity is. It's a power blocking scheme. And they can run zone. They got Jason Kelsey. Jason yeah. Kelsey is the poster boy for zone blocking scheme right he's undersized and he's a really good mover yeah but when you can predict fronts manipulate fronts well enough to get jason kelsey running like like you know on like the the, the first play of the game he's taking kenny clark for a ride on mm-hmm. that that wham uh play with miles sanders he's 10 yards down the field trying to take out adrian amos <laughs> right like if you can get him on the hoof like that on power blocking concepts do it it's to your advantage yeah. so this is this i think is is a thing that i think we we don't understand too well uh, as a general Eagles fan populace the Eagles can be a zone running team and they run zone but I would say identity wise they're a power blocking run team and they're built very nicely to do it if you want to have a good time just go through the film go through the broadcast copy too it it works if you don't have game pass watch every single time Jason Kelsey and Kenny Clark line up across from each other yeah I should say (laughs) omissions and and apologies three I said that Jason Kelsey handled Kenny Clark that was probably a little too pro Jason yeah. Kelsey. I think he still won, but it was like yes, right. By a tick. I'll put it to you this way: against <laughs> Kenny Clark, that's a good game, right? But that doesn't mean Kenny Clark didn't win a rep or two. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, dude, Clark's Clark's what you call stout. Yeah. Sometimes that kid puts his foot in the ground and he just ain't moving. Doesn't matter who's up against yeah. him. What I will say is ninety-one Preston Smith. Yeah. 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 Preston Smith. <laughs> man. Where was this? Yo, he had hot a, diggity. Yeah, he had a, he had a couple really good reps. I mean, him and Peters was a good battle. Uh, Peters stuffed them on a speed shop at one point in the game. That was a really nice rep for Peters. I thought Peters did well overall. There were a couple of times Smith just beat him like a dog inside, and there was nothing that Peters could do about it. So good points there. Uh, we're going to talk more about Carson Wentz on the QB Sco Show coming up, but I did want to ask you, Ben. I was trying to find some misreads from Carson Wentz because there's a narrative out there that the guy misses a bunch of reads and whatever. This is not the game to point to. I I was trying to find one really hard where I said, you know what? Carson probably could have thrown this ball. I think Carson was excellent with his reads, his mental processing throughout this game against Green Bay. What about you? It was a good game for Carson. It was, it was one of his better games in terms of getting rid of the ball when he shouldn't have been holding on to the ball. Absolutely. And that's where yeah. I usually have read problems with him is where he's, he's eating passes he shouldn't be eating. Yeah. I will say that I think that the Eagles passing attack, and again, like I feel bad, like it was clearly a a shorten the, the the drops, shorten the route concepts, get the ball out of his hands. We don't have anybody who can go deep. The passing concepts are generally a little stale, and I didn't feel like it was helpful to Carson that much. I mean, they ran just triangle reads all day to the strong side to death. Mm-hmm. Which, like, if it works, if it ain't broke, they'll fix it. I guess. Yeah. The creativity in the passing game was a little lacking for me, which I thought was to Carson's detriment. I thought that he had to force some balls into coverage that he wouldn't have taken otherwise. Mm. But Deshaun come back, Alshon yep. being healthy. We have to remember that this was a a, a depleted 
wide receiver room. By the way, did you see the uh, the Mike Rowe quote about Nelson Aguilar? This one got me going today. Oh boy, what did he say? He was asked, I think, by Rosenblatt. Big up Zach. Yeah, I uh, about uh, Nelson Aguilar only having one target. Yeah, right. He basically said something along the lines of like, "Oh, I wouldn't read anything into that at all. Just the way the game played out." Which is the offensive coordinator saying. You shouldn't read anything into the results of what happened in the offense. I have no idea what that would mean. Which is exactly what we're asking here in this situation. <laughs> Why did right. the play out like, like that? <laughs> like, 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 Michael, I'm going to be very honest with you. Yeah. Aguilar probably didn't get as many targets because better players were on the field who've been playing better than him because he had a bad game last week. Hmm. No, like me, you and your mama know. Yeah. I just, Simple this enough. is classic micro nonsense. Yeah, I agree. Ben. I think that's going to do it for this film review show of the Philadelphia Eagles. Big win backs up against the wall against the Green Bay Packers. They head into the geez, man, the decision that Adam Gase has about Sam Darnold. And that's really going to affect the line for this thing. But right now, I think the Eagles are like, what, two touchdown favorites? The decision that Adam Gase has right now with Sam Darnold is I can go 0-4 or I can go 0-4 and possibly have my franchise quarterback spleen bust everywhere. What is there even a, a second thought? I mean, <laughs> think about Adam Gase. Now, this is a guy that like dipped before he could cut the umbilical cord up during his daughter's birth because he had to go game plan. So I understand he's a freaking football lunatic. Like he's going to be Hugh Freeze up in the up in the booth on a hospital bed type guy. Like I get that. But come on, but what's the what's the point of even considering playing Darnold at this point from a medical I'm not a doctor, but that sounds insane to me. I don't <laughs> I have no comment on anything Adam Gase ever says for the rest of eternity. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I just like we we both get one guy where we can just refuse to respond to everything he says, and my guy <laughs> on the podcast, and my guy is yeah. is Adam Gase. Okay. I hope they beat the Jets by 90. I hope Adam Gase gets fired. Ah, that's beautiful. I agree. They need to save Sam Darnold by getting him away from from Gase and Loggins and all those guys. Ben, all right, that's enough. Say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners. What are you What are you reading? You're so engrossed in your computer screen right now. What's What's, what's funny? What's happening on the? I'm timeline? just watching the little audacity voice waves as they go. It's just It's just It's hypnotic to me. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I do literally every day. <laughs> Right, this is your job. It's a good point. Yeah. Can you read them now? Can, uh, no. can you read like your different phrases and and, and ticks? Because I can I can see your words and hear them in my Wait, head. Wait, can you? Anymore. Yeah, I know what your awe uh, looks like. I know what your you know what I mean. I know what, I know I know all that stuff. I know what your butt looks like. What do you mean? I don't say you know what I mean. That's never a thing that I ever say ever. <laughs> what was the first thing you said? My awe. Uh? Your awe. Uh. What's awe? Uh? Or your awe? Um, do I say that all the time? But I cut it out. Oh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. So You'll you go um, put it in there. And then I'll, yeah, and then I'll just go to the next thing that you said. Wow, you probably make me sound so coherent, whereas I am, you know, woefully not so. Yeah, thanks for noticing. After 500 episodes. Go ahead, Ben, say goodbye. What, do you make, what makes you think <laughs> I listen to this podcast? <laughs> I know you've re-listened to at least a couple. You're, come on now. Everybody's got that little bit in them that wants to hear themselves on that. I do. On the, on I like show. it's it right. It's actually it's, a, it's an interesting psychological thing. Is that like mentally we become so accustomed to our own verbal takes that we edit them out as we listen to ourselves speak. Right. Um. Yeah. This is I the developmental psychologist and Ben coming out here, which is you know <laughs> my side career. But yeah. Anyway, thank you as always for listening to the Kist and Solak Show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. The Eagles played the Packers on Thursday night. We told you about it on Thursday night, and then we told you about it again. 
on Tuesday morning because you just couldn't get enough of it. Eagles come away with a win despite our frustrations. They look down the barrel at, as Mike pointed out, the Jets, the Minnesota Vikings, and the Dallas Cowboys in week seven. Preparing you for the Jets game for the rest of the week. Offense versus defense preview. Defense versus offense preview. Babes on Broad and BGN Radio main show with the full game previews as well. If you enjoy the podcast network, go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcast. If it's funny and it's on iTunes, I will laugh at it, and we will eventually read it on the show. He's in Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's KST. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Thank you. We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles Fly. B-G-N.